Uh, good morning, you're listening to 3CR, the only radio left. Well, hello there, and welcome to Left After Breakfast on a beautiful Melbourne day. It's certainly spring, isn't it? Even though we've got a couple of weeks before the equinox. Now, I can tell you it's hay fever time, and I'm very worried that <laughs> if people see me sneezing and going on, they'll go, oh my word, she must have fallen prey to COVID. It's not. It's just a hay fever. It's an adverse reaction to all the native flowering flora of Melbourne. My body hasn't adjusted to it, even though we've been here since 1842. But anyhow, enough of hay fever. Though if you're suffering from it, listener, I feel for you. But I don't want to go on about gloom and doom, even though we live in perilous times full of gloom and doom. I wonder how many of those lizard people who went on a puppy pub crawl or just hung around, as was pointed out to me the other day, around Plenty Gorge Recreation Area, hundreds of them unmasked, joyfully gathering. How many of them are responsible for this higher rate of infection we're suddenly recording in Melbourne? I'd like to know. And there's something else I would really like to know. I really want to know the story behind the Ruby Princess. I tried to explain what had happened to a friend of mine in Rome the other day, and I thought, I haven't even got it clear in my own head yet. So I sat down and looked back, various news reports and etc., and had a look what actually happened with the Ruby Princess. I know it's pointless going on about it now because it's gone, it's over, it's done and dusted. But it's one of those things that we all should know. Just one more example of the incompetence, and I'm being very kind here by using the word incompetence, of this Morrison government. The Ruby Princess is a crown-class cruise ship owned by Carnival Corporation and PLC, with a maximum passenger capacity of 3,080 passengers and 1,150 crew. The ship first arrived in Sydney early on the 8th of March 2020 after completing a cruise from New Zealand. And the ship's captain, Giorgio Pomata, reported illnesses of 158 passengers and 13 high temperatures, one of the significant symptoms of coronavirus. As per protocol, these illnesses were lodged with New South Wales Health, and at this stage, the ship was considered a medium health risk. Now, the typical rate of ships arriving in Sydney Harbour for influenza-like illnesses is 1.7 cases per 1,000 passengers. The Ruby Princess recorded a rate of 64 cases per 1,000 passengers. Now, despite this intensely high level of illness, 37 times the typical rate, all passengers, apart from nine passengers who were tested for coronavirus on arrival, all passengers were allowed to disembark and allowed to return to their homes across Australia. And despite this assessment of a medium health risk and a high rate of recorded cases of illness, 
the ship departed Sydney Harbour with 2,647 new passengers later on that evening for a 13-day cruise of New Zealand. On the 15th of March, the Australian government announced a 30-day ban on foreign cruise ships coming into Australian ports, but granted an exception to four ships, Ovation of the Seas, Celebrity Solstice, Voyager of the Seas and the Ruby Princess. On the understanding that they were already heading for Australia at the time of the ban and were considered to be a low health risk. Now, Ruby Princess was considered to be a low health risk on this second entry back into Sydney, where she arrived on the 19th of March, even though it was considered a medium health risk on the 8th of March, and five influenza-like cases had been identified on the ship. Back on the Australian mainland, back home here, passengers from the earlier cruise that disembarked on the 8th of March were testing positive to coronavirus, including one couple who had flown back to their home in Darwin. Look, there are many parts to this Ruby Princess incident to have a look at, and there are many anomalies that need to be cleared up, and questions about authorities and government ministers that need to be clarified. The thing is, why was the Ruby Princess allowed to disembark on the 19th of March? First off, the ship was reported as a medium health risk on the 8th of March, with 158 six passengers, including 13 with high temperatures. Now, the abundance of caution that both the New South Wales government and the Australian government had been keen to talk about was ignored. Why was so little done to check the health of those passengers? And whose responsibility was this? Look, modern politics in Australia, even in a time of crisis, no official, no minister has had the courage to take responsibility. As the news of the Ruby Princess unfolded, New South Wales Health blamed the Australian Border Force. The Australian Border Force went on to blame New South Wales Health, which then went on to claim that responsibility was within the realm of the Federal Department of Health, the Immigration Department, or the Department of Agriculture, Water and the Environment. And finally, the Minister for Home Affairs blamed the crew of the Ruby Princess. On the 17th of March... Preceding the arrival of the Ruby Princess, the Australian Border Force Commissioner Michael Altram told us on the media about the arrival of a smaller cruise ship, Silver Spirit, and it had arrived in the port of Darwin, and he announced how all passengers were screened for flu-like symptoms by Australian Border Force biosecurity staff. OK, Darwin is within an Australian territory, not within an Australian state, but it is still an international port, just like Sydney. And the responsibility for biosecurity is with the Australian Border Force. But on the 25th of March, Outram quickly denied any responsibility for Ruby Princess, even though Australian Border Force had fully acted upon the arrival of another cruise ship just a few days earlier. Why are there these discrepancies in the roles of Australian Border Force in different Australian international ports? Why was the Australian Border Force so quick to act in the case of the Silver Spirit, correctly and according to its responsibilities? But why was it so piecemeal and tardy in the management of the Ruby Princess? 
It makes me wonder, and I'm sure it will make you wonder, was there any outside influence? It's really difficult to accept that in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of the worst global health event since the 1918 flu epidemic, that key ministers and public officials could behave so incompetently, could behave so irresponsibly. I don't want to get into conspiracy theories because, you know, that's a bit mad. But in this case, I can't really be sure. People make mistakes, but people also behave in many self-interested ways, especially when they're government ministers, irrespective of how high the stakes might be. Ruby Princess is owned by Carnival Corporation and PLC. That's a company with a fleet of over 100 cruise ships, international revenue of US $21 billion in 2019, and staff of over 120,000. It's a massive company, massive. There is a board of directors, a high-powered 11-person board of directors, and the board of directors includes the Australian businesswoman, Katie Lay. Lay was a long-serving CEO of the Business Council of Australia, a lobby group with long-established links with the Liberal Party. Up until September 2018, Lay was a member of the Great Barrier Reef Foundation Chairman's Panel. Do you remember that foundation? It seemed to appear overnight and then received an unprecedented and controversial $444 million payment from the coalition government in 2018. She was also the executive chairman of the Australian arm of Corn Ferry, which is a global organisational consulting firm, and she was that uh, CEO until 2019. Also at Corn Ferry is Robert Webster, a former National Party MP who was part of the Griner and Fay coalition ministries. Although he was a member of the National Party up until his resignation from Parliament in 1995, he has been a member of the Liberal Party since 1996. He's been a key fundraiser for the party, as well as making personal donations of almost 30,000 to the Liberal Party over two donation reporting periods. Corn Ferry has strong links with the Liberal Party and is often contracted to headhunt senior government positions, including a $71,500 contract to find a new chairperson for the Northern Australia Infrastructure Facility Board. It was also paid $160,000 to find a new ABC chairperson in 2018. Since the Liberal government returned to office, Corn Ferry has received $2.9 million in consultancy fees. So there are strong links between Lay, Webster and the New South Wales Liberal Party. Was there any favourable treatment provided to Ruby Princess because of his connection? Were there any passengers of note on that cruise to New Zealand that could have influenced the actions of the Ruby Princess? In the interest of transparency, surely we have to know. Did I say transparency? Golly, I'm talking about this particular coalition government. I'm talking about this particular prime minister. Transparency is not a word in their lexicon.
you're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital and on the internet, www.3cr.org.au. Gosh, time for a little music break, I think, listener. But a goodie can't beat it. Some of those lines are just fantastic. Il frutto del lavoro, a chi lavora andrà. The fruits of labour will be for us who work as it should be. That song appeared in 1908 and it was sung by the Italian members of the International Brigades. And it's been sung 
<laughs> in many places ever since. I still like it. You know a song I really like, listener, and that's the French anthem, the Marseillaise. And I wonder if they still sing all those words. Probably not. Oh, they couldn't possibly keep singing all those blood-drenched words, blood running in the gutters. <laughs> I think they've cut it out as the English national anthem you know, God save the king, that there's a verse that's not sung anymore, the verse that calls for save us from heretics and all their knavish tricks, death to all Catholics, God save the king. Well, no one sings that verse anymore, do they? And just as well. And it's time for a station message, and then we can ask Bucko, and then we can track down the oh-so-elusive bagman. So stay tuned, listener. This lasting delusion about children trapped in tunnels. That's how we got Aussie Q, it seems. And now everything else. I mean, now it's just a six-month pipeline from that to Australians who who, who live in this alternate uh, American fantasy land where they post about Donald Trump all the time. So its ability to via Save the Children stuff to get a whole range of different political persuasions in is what I found fascinating, you know. I talk a lot in the Aussie Q videos about how your auntie, she might not be that far right wing now but she might be quite left she might just be a spiritual hippie type but there's this broad appeal to things like save the children and great awakenings there's almost a hippie like quality to it particularly when you tone down the whole MAGA element of of traditional Q and it's getting people in there but Q is not just a conspiracy theory is it it is this conspiracy theory that is meant to drag you right after a few months so your auntie's going to be talking about make Australia great again in six months if she isn't right now listening to Radical Radio 3CR. Okay, listener, we'll ask Bucko. He'll tell you. Good morning. My name's Mark Buckley and I'm broadcasting on Left After Breakfast. The topic this week is privatisation. Who is it good for? Privatisation is one of those terms which politicians avoid using. That is because the public does not like the idea or its outcomes. It can be used in a number of ways, but most of us regard it as meaning selling off a publicly owned asset, usually to the detriment of good government. In other words, selling off the family silver. Most politicians are unable to explain the benefits of privatisation either because they're illusory or because they know there are seldom any benefits. Privatisation is usually marketed as increasing consumers' competition and choice. The stated reason for the sale of a public asset are usually increased productivity or enhanced efficiency, or some such other unquantifiable benefit which might happen in the near future. Generally, it is the product of neoliberal ideology which pushes the belief that the market will fix any problem, even when there is no problem. It also relies on the myth that private companies are more efficient than any public service. Although the idea of privatisation has been around for a long time, it was only when Mrs Thatcher and Ronald Reagan actually went through with it in their own countries that the trend took off. As with most fashions from overseas, it's overstayed its welcome but not before Australia got in on the act. Privatisation is unpopular. 
In 2016, when Scott Morrison was the Treasurer, he instructed the Productivity Commission to begin an inquiry into extending competition and choice, in inverted commas, in the human services sector. Of course, that was code for, let us privatise more of the government services. The People's Inquiry, which was called the People's Inquiry into Privatisation, ran parallel to the Productivity Commission Inquiry. They love an inquiry, this government, but instead of looking into ways to further marketise and privatise public services for the benefit of business, it asked how privatisation had impacted people, their lives and the common good. Now, this is the People's Inquiry. It concluded from public submissions that there were multiple faults in the process and that the outcome was negative in most areas and that the public did not like the idea nor its implementation. Some of the findings are below, but the full report is readily available. It's called People's Inquiry Report.ind.d. In the electricity sector, for one, there were job losses in the electricity sector, increased costs for consumers, service disconnections, profits from assets going overseas instead of going back to the public, reduction in research, development and maintenance of these assets, reduced investment in apprenticeships and training, and loss of accountability, transparency and control. This sector, among many others, has been privatised to within an inch of its life. These results are of particular interest now because the electricity sector's problems are a large part of the reason that Angus Taylor has continued to peddle the line that high energy prices are the fault of renewables and that taking no action to mitigate climate change will keep energy prices low. This is obviously untrue and the privatisation of the sector is a government-owned goal. There seems no way to get them out of the mess short of admitting they were wrong. I cannot see that happening. There are a number of reasons why privatisation fails to deliver. Most targets of privatisation have been in the area of utilities. These can be gas, electricity, water, telephones, communications. With such a diverse range of services targeted, it is compelling to note that the reasons for failure are common to many of them. The public utilities were nationalised originally to serve the public interest. The utilities are products and services that are essential to all members of the public. A private company, motivated by profit, is likely to close down unprofitable operations. This means that services will inevitably be cut. An example would be Telstra removing public phone boxes. Most public utilities were natural monopolies. If you, for instance, sell the water supply industry, the new suppliers will not need to compete as each one of them is a monopoly supplier in its area. So the quickest and easiest way to maximise profit is to shed staff. Efficiency gains will be minimal, while maintenance suffers. Governments regulate public utilities. Pollution and environment issues are more difficult to police, as the companies operate at arm's length. The 1980s saw a rise in income and social inequality. This was often blamed on privatisation, the transfer of assets owned by the many, public utilities, to a small group of wealthy investors, the few, made the gap greater than it had been. One major advantage of nationalised utilities is that their size permits them to take advantage of economies of scale. 
Privatisation usually involves the breakup of a large entity into many smaller ones. This is not conducive to financial success. There's a good reason why the public has never warmed to privatisation. It is sold as a matter of competition and or choice, which it seldom is. Thank you for listening. And you'll find Blackhoe at markbuckleymedia.com. That's Mark with a K, markbuckleymedia.com. Good morning, Susan, and good morning to your listeners. Oh, what a lovely time of the year, and uh, we can't get too complacent, we can't get too depressed, because 
we're in a lockdown at the moment and the best we can do is obey the rules uh, and the sooner we do that, uh, the sooner we'll be out of this uh, lockdown, which may be sending some people into some medical distress. I don't know what's wrong with people. Why can't they just do the right thing, wear a mask, check in wherever they go and basically stay home unless it's an urgent thing that they have to leave the house. Have you left your house recently, Bagman? I have not, Susan. I have taken the dog for a walk around a short block. Um, I've made sure I have a face mask on and I make sure that I try not to get too close to other people who are walking towards me without a mask. And mainly those people are tradies. Now, tradies are apparently exempt from wearing masks any time at all when they're going to work, when they're leaving from work, and even when they're working, uh, they seem to be exempt. And while I'm at it, Susan, I've got to tell you, there's a, a very disturbing thing happening around here at the moment, especially around Coburg and around the Merry Creek. And that's the QR code that uh, you advise people that they should check into when they're going into a supermarket or they're going to a other public place. But apparently there are fake QR codes. Now, how people come to think of these things, I don't know, but there are fake QR codes so that when you do the right thing and you register your QR code when you're about to go into some public place, apparently there are some fake ones now that automatically send you to an anti-vaxxer site. Disgusting. Well, well, to put it, in, put it one way, Susan, absolutely disgusting. Um, we've seen 5,000 people march in the streets of Melbourne three weeks ago, and now we have a spike in the number of coronavirus cases that we're, uh, we're experiencing. And not as bad as that, the simple fact is the people are dying. And we've seen 200 people in High Street in Northcote up your way three or four weeks ago going into uh, restaurants, coming out with cocktails, other refreshments and whatever, while they were about to go on a puppy pooch crawl. I find it hard to believe, but I know that it happened. And, you know, Bagman, I heard about the fake QR code. Because oh, right. I got the message from the Victoria Police. It's just a general message. I'm on their email list or text list, whatever it is, when it's a COVID update thing. All right. And because yeah. uh, yeah. I'm, I'm considering behaving well out of character, but I'll tell you in a minute. All right. Because what really nauseated me, Bagman, about this fake QR code is that a lot of it is aimed at people in the northern suburbs, that's you, oh. and in Greater Dandenong, yes. where it is aimed at Muslims. And other ethnic populations, of course. But there carries message when a, someone who happens to come from, oh, you know, somewhere in those Middle Eastern countries yep. where most of them are Muslim, they get sent a message from these anti-vaxxers saying that this whole idea of COVID 
and lockdown and masks is an attack on Muslim. Oh, an attack on your freedom also. And that's all it's about. And, you know, I am getting to the stage Well, I would like to jail people who do that. Well, you basically took the words out of my mouth, Susan, because I don't believe in sending anybody to jail except for the you know, the most heinous crimes. And yeah. I think I think it's every prisoner's duty to try and escape. Now, if these people want to put those fake codes that are targeted to Muslim and other ethnic communities, yes, maybe maybe they should spend a little time in the go slow, as I call it. And there's something else that I feel like doing. Oh, but yes. perhaps I shouldn't tell you because you'll think, oh, my God, I've known this woman all these years and all of a sudden she's done a complete volta facie, a complete about face. Ah, yes. Because I am getting very tired of going down to the creek just at the back of my house. You know it, the Merry Creek. Yes, I know. And, I swim there often. <laughs> and I know the children in my little, it's a little tiny neighbourhood. It's like a little yeah. village here. Yeah. And I know the children and I know my neighbours. When I go down there of a morning to do my you know, my walk. My You're hobble, watching. My, You're watching. My, <laughs> yeah, my, my, my hobbling along. <laughs> And I see children I've never seen before. And with parents, men and women, I have never seen before. No one masked. I don't expect children to be masked. But their parents, I do, all sitting together, laughing and choking. They were drinking wine there the other morning. Oh, oh my God. And I really felt, I want to go home and ring up the cops and dob the bastards in. Mm, And I've never dobbed anyone in. No, it's considered to be un-Australian, Susan. But you have to take into account those young children that are now going unmasked. This virus is hitting young children. It's giving them the virus, and they're the ones that are ending up in hospital and even in the ICU unit. Oh, the poor little darlings. How awful for them. It's it's awful enough for us, grown adults, you know, yeah. the, the little children who haven't done anything wrong. It's their parents who've it's done their wrong. parents. Yes, exactly, Susan. And can I just mention three things? The United Australia Party and Craig Kelly, Harvey Norman oh. and, the, and the Age newspaper because the Age newspaper um, have started uh, printing adverts from the United Australia Party. And I understand that the Age newspaper is not allowed to refuse revenue or advertisements from political parties. But the latest in the latest um, Age newspaper I'm reading, it says if 70% are vaccinated and vaccinated can still catch it and still pass it on, will we have will we still have lockdowns now? I really have a lot of problems with the age newspaper at the moment. And as a long time, a long time subscriber to the age newspaper, I reckon I've got a right to voice my concerns as to where I see the age newspaper heading in the current times. Now, I've continued my subscription 
because I firmly believe in the old adage that your paper, the age, punches above its weight. But my patience is wearing thin. Now, the simple fact, the age newspaper accepts revenue from the United Australia Party uh, from a bloke called Kelly, Craig Kelly, who also um, suggests that a horse-worming tablet uh, is the way to beat uh, this COVID virus. Now, I'm also concerned that Harvey Norman got $22 million in JobKeeper funds. Now, don't slap uh, Harvey Norman on the back, uh, or what's his name, Greg Harvey, or well, I'm not too sure of his Hardly normal, I call him. Harvey, he's repaid $6 million out of the $22 million that he received of your money, my money, and other taxpayers' money. Now, I'm quite entitled to ask if any of that money is going to the six and ten page adverts that are being run in the Age newspaper every day. Now, I know I'm not allowed to um, initiate boycotts, but the last place I would go to buy a stick of furniture would be Harvey Norman. You know, Bagman, I watch um, some cooking shows on television. Oh, yeah. I'm afraid I've had to stop watching them because of Jerry Harvey's ads. Oh, God. And I, and I think, are you the only people in Australia who, who provide kitchen appliances? Apparently, <laughs> apparently they are. And I, I think no wonder people, you know, oh, it's just, I could weep. I really could weep. I noticed that there again this morning. All these cars parked in our little streets, they're probably all Jerry Harvey customers, parked in my streets and people who live here can't, can't park their cars because people drive from somewhere to walk on the creek at the back of my house. Ah. Now, I was talking with uh, Gurm the other day. Yeah, Gurm Sikkim. Yes. Yeah. And he told me that he walks up, up to the top of the Plenty River, which is just where he lives, and over towards, you know, the Plenty Gorge. And he's seen in all the years he's lived there, five or six cars there. Yeah. He said of late, he said there have been hundreds, and he means hundreds of cars, and hundreds of people gathering around, no masks, hugging each other, dancing, singing, having mm -hmm. a good time. Where do these people get off? Don't well, they well, understand? No, I don't think they do, Susan, or they don't want to. Now, I am looking forward to the day uh, when we can get, as Dan Andrews says, 70%, 80% vaccinated so that we can have some freedom to move around. Now, I'm fully in favour of those people who are anti-vaxxers, anti-maskers, freedom soldiers or whatever. Um, if they cannot attend a hotel, a restaurant, a sporting event because they haven't been vaccinated, then I say, too bloody bad. Yes, and I agree with you on that. I really do. Geez, we're turning right wing all of a sudden, aren't we? No. <laughs> but, but I've never, ever, ever considered dobbing anyone in. But I've just about had it. Yeah. And I... Well, the, the simple fact is, Susan, those people that are marching in the streets, those people are refusing to get vaccinated, 
are the people, they're our jailers. They're the people that are keeping us locked in to our house uh, in order to do the right thing. So I really look forward to the day when, if they're not fully vaccinated, they cannot participate in our community. Bugger them. Uh, uh, yes, bugger them. I yeah. see that the fellow who, whatever his name is, I forget, um, who's the chairman or whatever of the Spring Racing Carnival, yeah. he has said no one is going to go into any racetrack, whether they are staff, you know, whether they are jockeys or hands or cleaners, unless they're vaccinated, and neither will any person be allowed to go in to watch a race or have a bet. They have to be vaccinated. Well, I couldn't agree more, Susan. It would save me a lot of money because I do attend the odd racetrack uh, when I go up to my uh, holiday home up in the, what do you call it again? The Brigadoon of the oh, North. Yes. <laughs> where, I can go, where I can go to the Ballarat race course, freeze me balls off and have a five bob each way on some horse. Ah. And I see that Daniel Andrews, and good luck to him, he's come out and he's said this vaccination distribution system is not fair. He's accused Scott Morrison of being the uh, Premier or the Prime Minister for New South Wales while they get a disproportionate amount of vaccines that should be going into the arms of Victorians so that we can get immunity. And Dan Andrew said it's basically like an egg and spoon race. Now, Scott Morrison told us 18 months ago, this is not a race. Don't call it a race. It's not a race, but it is now. He's favouring uh, the New South Wales state and the Premier because of political allegiances. Also, Queensland is missing out on the vaccines, as yeah. is Western Australia. Yep, they're all missing out. And uh, Queensland and Western Australia have kept COVID out of their state simply because they've followed the rules and they've brought in safeguards to make sure the virus doesn't get into their state. But they're still entitled to the same amount as Victoria and every other state instead of New South Wales getting the greatest share. Yes, I think whoever said that he was the Prime Minister of New South Wales yeah. was quite correct. That's right, yeah. Hey, and you'll be, you'll be pleased to know, um, uh, I don't know whether this person would be a friend of yours, but a Melbourne social media personality, an influencer, that's what they call them, an influencer. Uh, Nadia Bartel and three other women have been fined $5,452 each for breaking or breaching COVID rules after a video shared on social media that showed them snorting a white powder at an illegal gathering. Now, we make no accusations here, but I've seen the video and the white powder, and I'm assuming that it, it's the original white powder. No, it's horse warmer. <laughs> oh, it's That's right. Yeah, how smart of Bill Gates to, uh, to put microchips into the horse warmer, eh? 
Yeah. Uh, he, he, pretty good band. <laughs> uh, anyway, thing is about this virus, we've had political leaders on the right saying, open up, open up, open up, open up. If we had our way, windscreens O'Brien, um, the leader, was a leader of the, the opposition, the former leader, yeah. we would have opened up 12 months ago. And, and we'd we would all be have, dead. And we'd all be dead because the simple thing now is dead is the new normal. And that's the way it will become because the more we open up, and we, I suppose we have to open up at some stage, more people will die. But those people on the right wing like Craig Kelly and the people from Sky News, they will be responsible for the deaths of every person that dies of COVID from this point on. I will hold them to account. Those people, I believe then, seeing as they aren't concerned about any health uh, issues for anyone else, I reckon when they get sick, that they don't attend the hospital because they don't believe in the hospital either. Oh, yeah. It really is a conundrum, isn't it, Susan? Um, where you can't, you can't deny people, no matter how stupid, you can't deny people uh, proper medical uh, treatment. But I, know I you'd be, oh, you'd, you'd, uh, And I would be tempted also. Sorry. Um, no, that's all right. I would be tempted also, but... Maybe you're going to have to hand in your Gucci, your Bulgari, and your Cartier, and Monbonk, a jewelry, and watches because these companies, Gucci, Bulgari, and Cartier, and Monbonk, claimed more than $10 million combined in a job keeper while making multi million dollar profits. Now, if you tell me there's a rule for them, and we're all for us. Gonna agree with you. Cartier. Yeah, Cartier. They make. I think they make watches. Um, I think there was a, a woman that was in charge of Australia Post before they sacked her, and she won a million dollars in compensation from them because she brought a couple of Cartier watches uh, for people who've been doing a good job. But anyway, they've received ten million dollars in. Job keeper funds, your your funds and my funds, our tax. <sighs> yeah, and look, and I don't want to talk about boycotts either, though I firmly believe in them. But I don't want to talk about dobbing in people either, though I'm beginning to believe in that. And the next time I come across a bunch of people who are refusing to follow the rules, well then I'm going to be on the phone. I'm going to. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm confessing. Right. You, I know you're going to think, what's happened to her? Oh, no. It's, it's okay, Susan. Um, I understand your frustration because I don't think, and it might only be my opinion, but when people quote the 1948 Charter of Human Rights, like these whackers that are marching in the streets uh, uh, only last week or so, they have no right to inflict a disease on anybody else. They have no right uh, to do that. And they can hold their view uh, as long as they want, but they have no right to infect me or my family or no. my... 
uh, Monsieur Macron, the the Premier of France. Oh, yeah. I rather liked his statement a few weeks back when he said, I am sick of them. If they want to walk around infecting me, my family, my loved ones, my people of France, then they will all have to go and live in a little enclave on their own. They won't be able to shop. They won't be able to walk on the street. They have to show a vaccination passport. Only reasonable that people uh, are vaccinated, people have a vaccination passport so that uh, we can have at least a modicum of freedom uh, in the future. And, of course, I would like to see 80% at least vaccinated. Of course, of course. And 80% um, is not going to be the be-all and end-all. No, we have to walk. We have to work towards 100%. That's right. Um, Because there's a bike in Texas. A bike in Texas, Karib Wallace, who died last week. And you know what he died of? He died of the coronavirus. Now, I want you to be outpouring with this sympathy, here, Susan, because the bloke is free KZ. And one of the reasons why he's free KZ, or loaf of bread, is because he refused to believe in COVID and he refused to wear a mask. And he uh, pontificated that uh, to all his friends and everybody who would listen to him and now he's as dead as a doornail. Good riddance. Oh, well. <laughs> Gee, <I'm>, <laughs> I mean that. Was he the bloke who said, God can't hear you when you pray if you're wearing a mask? No, that was that uh, that preacher that got into trouble for visiting prostitutes all, all that many years ago. <laughs> oh, they all did. Jimmy Baker. Jimmy Baker. And um. Jimmy... Jimmy Swaggart has got his own TV show here in Melbourne. You can turn into it every week, and he preaches and he sucks money out of people. Now, he was caught 20 years ago visiting prostitutes and whatever, and he got up in front of his congregation and said, I have sinned, I have sinned against you, my Lord. How fake can you be? Yeah, ah, oh, well. But listen, Bagman, before, yeah. we, before we go, can I ask yeah. you something? Sure. When you get in your car, do you put on your seatbelt? Of course I do. You do. And oh. when, you, when you go to a pub or when the days you used to, or go to a restaurant when we used to, pre-COVID, and there'd be a sign on the door saying, no T-shirt and thongs? No yeah. shirt, no shoes, no service. That's it, no shirt, oh, no yeah. shirt. So did you wear a shirt and shoes? Yes, I did, because I wanted to get into the pub. Did you stand out the front saying, it's my freedom? <laughs> no, because I wanted to go into the pub. <laughs> you didn't stand out saying, my body, my choice? Oh, no, Susan. No, no, no. Uh, and look, uh, just before we go, um, can, I, can I just say best wishes to my wife who is in the Vincent Private Hospital at the moment, and she's having a hip replacement. So I send all my best wishes to her. And can I send condolences to your family, Susan, on the loss of your daughter-in-law last week? 
Thank you for that, Bagman. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you very much. All right. So it's it's about that time, is it? It is. All right. Let's go out the same. Go on. You go Let's first. Let's go out in the same way. Why not? Dare to struggle. Dare to win. You don't fight. You lose. Good morning from left after breakfast. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital and on the internet, www.3cr.org.au. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the ride. See you next week, same time, same place. Thank you.